uh, help me to be faithful to the text as I uh, unpack your word. Help me to bring out the, the treasures you have for us, the, the um, just great things that you have, have um, put in your word to guide your people, to bless us, Lord. I pray that you would, would help, me to, um, help, me to find, help me to find the real treasures and bring them out for these folks. And I pray that you would be with the, the folks who are here and prepare their hearts. Help them to hear from you, Lord. Help them to, to know Jesus and, and know uh, Jesus' death and resurrection for our sake, Lord, that they would know that they are covered by your grace and forgiven. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, got to get my slides working here. Did my printout work? Oh, thank you. All right, let me see if I can get my slides to work before I go any further. Um, apparently, technical difficulty is the story of my life. It should be just my middle name. Things don't work. Um, I have a video clip I'm going to start with uh, that I may just have my wife uh, put on for me. I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to apologize in advance. Um, I, the topic we're talking about um, has some serious uh, seriousness to it. It's got some weight to it, and it, it um, I did, didn't want to come into it with um, an overly dour uh, uh, sort of feel. And so I picked something uh, that illustrates it well, the only thing I could think of, honestly. Um, and, and so as we start this clip, this is a, uh, this is a Star Wars scene, okay? Um, and it is, a, uh, it is actually not from Star Wars. It's a parody, uh, a parody scene, and it's making fun of a, uh, a trope in Star Wars where, I don't know, have, has anybody not seen them? It might be an easier way. Other than Jeremy's wife, like five of you. So there are more of you that haven't seen, or that have seen it than haven't. In the first movie, there is like this silly thing. Actually, in all of the first three movies, there's this silly thing that happens with the stormtroopers, or sort of the bad guys in the film, right? Like they're sort of the soldiers of the bad guy army. Um, they, no matter what they're doing, they can't seem to hit anything they shoot at, right? Like, they, they shoot, and it's like they have their eyes closed. They can't hit anything. And the other thing is that, like, stormtroopers are the most fragile things on the planet. Like, if a stormtrooper, like, in the last movie, the third movie, they, they like, stormtroopers are killed by glorified teddy bears. I mean, they're just, they're, 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 you all know what I'm talking about, right? And so as we start our clip, that's kind of the mindset coming into this. Um... <laughs>
you're not dead? Yes, just wounded. Has this ever happened before? Not that I'm aware of. What do we do? Well, you could help me. I don't know. Is that in the Stormtrooper manual? I thought this suit was designed to make sure you were dead if you got hit. Why else would we wear them? You sure you're not dead? Yes! Well, what do we do? Should we kill him? Sounds reasonable. What? No, 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 no. We, we can't kill our own man. We don't have the clearance. Uh, no, no, no. It's okay. It's not that bad. I'll walk it off. Oh, 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 oh boy. Oh, 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 oh. Ah, ah. See? No problem. Good as new. Nothing to worry about. Is a silly clip, uh, but I, I we're starting with this. We're in the last section of John's letter, and John's tying it all up. Okay, and this is going to make sense. I'll, I'll get to it. Don't worry. Um, John is tying it all up, and he he comes to his purpose statement for the letter, and some reassurances and some other stuff. But like this whole letter, building up until this point, is because the church he's writing to has like fractured, right? They had a group of people who started teaching crazy things. They broke away. People were hurting each other. People were saying nasty things to each other. And a big chunk of the church left and started renouncing Jesus, right? And um, John writes, and his, a big chunk of his letter, in the first verse we'll see here, like he is reassuring folks. He's saying, listen, don't just question your salvation because, like, because of these people. Don't just question your salvation because of difficulty. These are how you know that you belong to Jesus, um, you are not dead spiritually. You know, you, you can move forward, right? And um, as we kind of go into this, part of what I want to look at in relation to this is this idea that um, it's actually a behavior that, that happens in the church a lot of times, right? Um, we look at Christians who fail or who stumble or who aren't perfect or who have, like, like, pain that they carry or temptations they struggle with every day or imperfections. And I'll say, you like, I, I got them, right? Anybody who knows me really well knows that I got piles of them, right? But we look at folks like that, and our response is, well, what do we do now? Well, maybe we should kill them. Like, <laughs> we, should, we should maybe get, just kick them out of the church because, like, I, I don't know what to do with this. You know, oh, wow, this kind of makes me uncomfortable. Maybe we should just stop talking to that guy. Um, maybe we should, uh, well, you know, that was a pretty big sin you committed. The door's right there, buddy. I mean, like, like churches, there's a phrase that you hear sometimes when you talk about churches and Christians. We are the only army in history that shoots its own wounded, right? We, we watch somebody stumble, and instead of rushing to their aid, we gather up and we say, well, what does the manual say? I don't know. I haven't read it in a while, but I'm pretty sure, like, I have no idea what we're supposed to do. Well, God probably wants us to shoot him. Um, and it doesn't make any sense, right? And this is kind of where John closes his letter, and this is what we're going to be talking about. See, I told you it was kind of a heavier topic, right? Um, the, the letter up until this point, like, like the big thing 
Um, and actually, we'll go into verse 13, and we'll sort of explain it. Um, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, this is kind of a cool one, because as far as verses go, this is actually where the Gospel of John ends, right? I mean, it's neat. John, um, in his Gospel, like he tells the story of Jesus' life, he tells Jesus' teaching, he tells about the death, the resurrection, um, and as far as letters go, John is the one that, like, is so full of asides where John will stop in the middle of everything and say, hey, this is how you know you belong to Jesus. This is how you know you're forgiven. This is what God wants us to do with this information because John's primary desire is that we know that we have eternal life. And the other verse I'm referencing here, if I can find it, is John 20, uh, 31. It's in here. If you want to find it on your own, it'll be in your pew Bibles. Um, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you, excuse me, and that believing you may have a life in his name. Um, what John is opening with, and this is a theme in John's letters, it's something he comes back to over and over again, is um, knowing that you belong to Christ, right? It begins with believing in his name. Right, And that's not just like, it sounds like a weird phrase, believe in his name. Well, I know he had a name, right? It's not exactly that. What he's saying is, believe in this person that was Jesus. This is how we are saved. Jesus, God's son, came to earth. He lived a perfect life because you and I can't. And actually, that's cool. So, like, if you're a person here who is imperfect, there's at least a couple of us, right? God's entire plan for the world revolves around you not being perfect and him realizing it and him doing the work for you because he knows you can't, right? Like, take a half a second and let the implications of that sink in, right? I get angry and I say dumb things. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> I have trouble praying for people who disagree with me. Just me? Or can I get another amen? I carry around resentment for things that have happened years ago. And I have trouble forgiving. Anyone else? Um, I know I should be this way, but I'm this way. Anyone else? God's entire plan revolves around you are not perfect and you cannot be and so Jesus comes, he lives a perfect life, and then he takes punishment for every sin and provides a way to heal our brokenness. That is like John's whole point in writing, and that is as good as it gets. Right? Like if I stop right here, this is enough of a message. It is. Like God loves you so much that he will go to any distance to have you be close to him. I sound like a broken record. I think I say that a lot, but I cannot say it loud enough because it's the essence of the gospel. God sent his beloved son, his only son, loves more than anything. Like, like since before the creation of the world, they were like, like um, connected to each other in the Trinity, and they loved each other perfectly and served each other perfectly. And this is like, like what he sends for us. When we were most helpless... Most imperfect, most incapable of being perfect, Jesus comes for us. 
Um, well, how do we know that we believe in his name? John gives us three tests, right? He says this over and over again in the book, and I'm going to backtrack just so you know. If you are sitting here and you believe in Jesus like as God's son who died for you, that is the number one, right? That's it. Isn't that awesome? Um, you strive to have a close relationship with God by pursuing holiness, This is a hard one, and sometimes this looks funny, and sometimes we forget to do it, and sometimes we do it imperfectly. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) I'm trying to turn this Pentecostal. Um, (laughs) It's a joke. It's a joke. Um, We pursue it imperfectly. We're going to pursue it imperfectly. We're going to doubt, right? We're going to stumble. We're going to give in to temptation. We're going to sometimes get angry at God, right? Anybody else? Just me? Our general movement is toward holiness, toward purity, toward new life, toward obeying the commands is really what it talks about there. Like, and then the last one is that we love our brothers, right? If I love God, I love his children, right? We love our brothers. That means the guy who's sitting down the pew from you, who you sort of hope gets a flat tire while he's sitting in here, you know that guy. Um, he might be standing up front um, <laughs> just because you love seeing him struggle, um, you got to love those people. And like when you don't love them, there's this Holy Spirit thing that nudges you and reminds you, right? Hey, you should love that guy. Hey, you should love that guy. And so pursuing love is a part of that. Um, these are the three standards that John gives. And coincidentally, he gives these things to a church that is struggling. So all these people like are mad at each other and have been fighting and there's all kinds of conflict. And he says, guys, love each other, right? Guys, love each other. If you don't love your brother but you say you love God, you're lying, Love each other, love each other, love each other. Love the people you don't like. Love the people that are hard to get along with. Love the people who are more imperfect than you. I I don't know anyone. Uh, 14 to 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The word there, by the way, is he heeds us. Meaning he understands, he hears. So, like, knowing that God sent his son... Uh, One of the things John talks about, I believe it's in chapter 3, is that we are adopted into his family, right? That we become his sons and his daughters. Like that we become his children by merit of Christ's like death for us. We are adopted is what Paul says. But we are his children. And as his children, we are confident. We know that he hears us, right? I, I think sometimes my children don't believe I hear what they're saying, right? And that's why Abby says things 700 times in a row, right? That's why, why um, if I'm in the middle of working on something in my office and Titus comes in and says, Dad, I want this, right? Like he comes to work with me and, and he eats his lunch about 9 o'clock in the morning. And, <laughs> and so he'll come in with his lunch and he'll say, Dad, I want some water. And I'll say, well, Titus, let me finish this page. Dad, are you not going to get me water? (laughs) Just a moment. Dad, why aren't you getting me water yet? (laughs) In reality, I hear him, but like for some reason it's stuck in his head that I don't. There are times we ask of God and we wonder, right? But I'm going to tell you, like if we are adopted into his family, if we belong to Jesus, God hears us, right? God may not act immediately. It's the truth. Not because he's busy, but because he's wise. 
There are things I wanted in my life early that had I gotten them, I would have destroyed them, right? Had I, I wanted to go to seminary out of college. That was my number one plan, and I failed Greek. Actually, I got a D in Greek because my father knew the dean, and he sat me down in his office and said, I will give you a D minus if you never take Greek again. And I stood by that, but I didn't go to seminary because of it, because I thought, well, I'll never pass the language requirement, so it's out. And I did a whole bunch of other stuff. And looking back, had I not done all that other stuff, I would have been the worst pastor ever. I mean, I'm pretty, pretty close now. But, <laughs> but at the time, like, God didn't give me what I wanted right away, right? God hears us. Sometimes God's answer is one that we don't like. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's, hey, God, I want you to fix this in my life. And he's like, well, you ain't going to like it, but let's get on it. And the process of fixing it hurts. Anybody experience that? We're on the other side of a huge, dry, painful, awful spell. You're like, man, that changed me. (laughs) Glad I went through it. Hot. Um, But the reality is that God hears us. And we need to have faith and confidence in that reality. God hears us. We're not laying in the hallway wounded with the other Christians standing around talking about shooting us. And God's off to the side like, hey, I'm not even listening. You know, I don't even know what's going on. In reality, God pays attention. And he doesn't let us escape his notice. He doesn't let us run further than than he'll allow us to. Sometimes we do run away and he calls us back. But I'm going to get into that. Um... And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. Excuse me. Sorry. Let me read that right. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Meaning, like, if we know he hears us, we know he hears us and he takes it into account and he's going to do what he's going to do with it. Right? Now, there are a couple of weird things here. And I've talked about this before. I'm going to get back to it again. There are times my daughter asks me for things that are outside of my will for her life. You understand what I mean? There are just times that happens. Um, She used to play with these five-gallon bottles, water bottles in our kitchen. And she would say, Dad, can you pick this up and carry it to my room? Nope. (laughs) I'm not going to do that because it's outside of my will to have you pop the lid off a five-gallon bottle of water on your bed. No water beds in this house. We will not allow it until I have one. Um, But oddly enough, when she asks for things that fall within my will, I'm a lot stronger than she is. And I have a lot more resources. And I actually have some wisdom. Not a whole lot, but a lot more than the six-year-old, I hope. Um, And so when she asks, I can answer when it's in my will. And part of the process of becoming God's children is learning to ask and communicate and interact with God according to his will. And he hears what we need. And he knows it. And we can have confidence in that. And I'm telling you that I'm coming back and I'm pushing this and I'm beating on it. Because I have a feeling that there are folks sitting in this room have been asking for things from God for years. And you're not sure why he doesn't answer. Anyone? And you think, God, why won't you just do this? Some of you guys are hurting over things depressed over things, anxious over things, and you think, God, can't you just do this now? And his answer is, I'll do it when it's time. Or, hey, that's probably not a part of my plan for your life. Just going to need to hang out for a bit.
but we know he has our best interest in mind, right? I never, ever say no to my kids because I hate them. They think I do. Anybody ever said that to your parents or heard it? You're just not letting me drive the car because you hate me. No, I'm not letting you drive the car because you're five. Yeah, I've had that conversation. (laughs) But you all get it? God loves you. God is passionately, desperately in love with you. And he hears your prayers. And he takes care of you according to them. Well, then why do we even pray if he already knows? Because, I don't know, why do I talk to my wife if she already knows everything about me? Anyone guess? Because we have a relationship, right? And because even though, like, she knows I want certain things and she knows I desire certain things, she knows that I want to hear about parts of her life and she knows that I... You know, she knows these things. I'm still going to say it because it's a part of interacting, right? When you stop talking to each other, like, bad things happen. Um, We talk to God because we talk to him as a father. We talk to him as one that we can confidently hear and know. Um, If you're wounded, if you're struggling, if you're carrying a weight on your back, you know, sin or, or past memory or some sort of, you know, anxiety or struggle, like, whatever it is, like, know that God knows. Know that when you cry out to him over and over again, he's hearing you. Know that Christ carried that on the cross for you and thought about it while he did. Don't ever fail in your confidence toward that, regardless of how much it hurts. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Now, watch this. Um, there's a weird qualifier there, sins that lead to death. And i got to explain this, right? Um, there have been millions of discussions about this, reams of paper that have been wasted discussing it. Um, what this is a reference to is sin that leads to spiritual death, right? In context, there's a huge swath of guys that left this church saying, Jesus was not the Son of God. Jesus was not divine. Jesus was just a teacher. We need to ignore him now. And that is a sin that leads to death because it is a spiritual death, right? That is cutting off your spiritual oxygen supply, right? I I watched a science fiction movie recently. I know it's shocking. Um, But an astronaut is out in space and his air, air hose gets cut. And guess what happens? He dies. <laughs> if you don't breathe, you die. Um, Jesus is the source of our spiritual life. You are not alive spiritually because you have deep feelings or write poetry. No offense. You are not alive spiritually because you sit quiet in the morning or because you appreciate nature. You are alive spiritually because Jesus Christ, like through the Holy Spirit, gave you life, breathed life into you. A sin that leads to death is a renunciation of Christ. There's a walking away from Jesus, right? Um, sometimes it's a reshaping Jesus into someone he isn't. There are people that do that, right? Suddenly Jesus is Santa Claus. Nope, he's not. There's different guys. Um, Jesus didn't ever wear red. That sash, I guess, in some pictures. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so if you see a brother like who is in a sin, who is caught in a sin that does not lead to death, meaning they have not renounced Christ, they have not abandoned their faith in Christ, 
um, they're just in a sin. This would be a visible sin, right? Because it's really hard to tell what somebody else's heart is. And it's a funny thing because I talk to folks all the time, especially right now, who say these people are wicked because they believe these things. So how do you know? Well, I know what's in their heart. Guess what? You don't. You don't know what's in anybody's heart. You don't. If you watch Nathan walking down the street and pushing over homeless people because he thinks it's funny, I've never seen him do it. I've heard. (laughs) But (laughs) um, that would be a sin that does not lead to death, right? Although in Montana, homeless people might have guns. Um, But it's not a spiritual death. You might pull Nathan aside and say, hey, you know what? Maybe pushing over homeless people, not such a good idea. Maybe that's not like Christ-like, right? And you do it in a loving way. But that's not actually where John says we're supposed to start. Where are we supposed to start? Prayer, right? So you look around, you see a brother or sister like struggling. The beginning of responding to that is praying for them. Is going to God and pouring out your heart to him. And there's this amazing thing. You cannot save anyone. Did you know that? None of you. So, like, if you put a bunch of stuff on Facebook about how, like, if you don't believe this, you're, you're you know, evil, probably not going to save anyone's soul doing it. Right? Can't do it. The Holy Spirit moves in people's hearts, and that's what changes us. That's it. I like to think I'm clever. I like to think I'm a good preacher. I like to think I'm very convincing and convicting sometimes. Right? Nothing that comes out of my mouth has any weight without the Holy Spirit. So, like, I tell people this, I'm just like, oh, Eric, that sermon stepped on my feet. No, it didn't. The Holy Spirit stepped on your feet. I could read the phone book, and if the Holy Spirit's going to act, he's going to act, right? I found Christ, the funniest thing, I found Christ with a gospel tract. Nobody even preached the gospel to me. I got a piece of paper. Not even a very good gospel tract now that I look back. <laughs> Sales were awful, Right? But the Holy Spirit made me meet Jesus. That's it. The Holy Spirit birthed me anew. That's it. We start praying for our brothers because, like, the Holy Spirit and God are going to do the work. They're his kids, not yours. Our only call is to love them. And that begins with praying for them. And so, like, instead of being the stormtroopers, see where I'm going with this? Anybody... Oh my gosh, look at that. So-and-so is hurt. What do we do? Should we excommunicate him? (laughs) Yeah, that's what we should do. Should we stop calling him? Yeah. Should we uninvite him from Bible study? Yeah, he probably doesn't even own a Bible anymore. Probably set it on fire or something. What a wicked man. We don't shoot our wounded. We pray for each other first. We love each other, like, from deep down. Like, the core of who we are because the Holy Spirit births that love in us. We pray. So you see a brother who's fallen into sin and stumbled and become something they weren't meant to be. You begin by praying for him. I've had big stretches of my life where everything was so like messed up that I was embarrassed to tell anyone. You know why? Because if I told other Christians about how screwed up I was, they would know and that would wreck my life, right? Because then all of a sudden my friends wouldn't talk to me anymore. You know, or I might lose my job, or I might, whatever. It's not the way the church is supposed to be, brothers and sisters. 
And I say brothers and sisters on purpose right now, right? It's not the way the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to want to care for each other. We're supposed to want to run to each other. When we're hurting, we're supposed to want to sit with our family and say, this is how I'm hurting. This is how I'm struggling. It begins with prayer. Pray, 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 pray. If you're not praying for your brothers and sisters, then you need to back up and do it. And I'll tell you what. I'm going to remind you of this next week because this is basically what I'm going to talk about next week. Um, Marlene is going to hand out new uh, books. Directories? Um, One of the best things you can do, I've been reading about this for about two years. I've never talked about it. One of the best things you could do as a member of a body of Christ is pick that thing up first thing in the morning every morning or when you sit down to do your devotions every day and look at the first page and go right down the list. God be with, who's A? I'm sorry. I don't even know. <laughs> Anderson. God, please be with the Andersons. Please please be with Hannah. Please be with um, Catherine. Catherine. Please be with, because that's how it is in the bulletin, or in the directory. Um, please be with, you know, Brooke and Renee. Please be with, and then go to the next one. Pray for the folks around you. Because honestly, whether people are telling you or not, they need it. Isn't it true? Have any of y'all ever been in a spot where you needed people to pray for you and you didn't tell anyone and you just were thinking, man, I hope people are praying for me? Directory, every day, pray for each other. Because that's where we're supposed to start. And if you see a brother in sin, or if you see somebody who can't manage their kids the way you want them to, or if you see somebody who is just a little brusque with you and you're pretty sure it's because they hate you, or you see somebody who you're pretty sure is looking down on you because, you know, you're not perfect and they are, pray for them. Pray for them. And when you're done praying for them, you should pray for them some more. And then when you're done doing that, you should probably try to figure out a way to concretely love them. Because love isn't a feeling. It isn't just a feeling. Love is an action. Um, It is a forward movement and behavior. I show you all I love you because I share Jesus with you. I show folks I love them by visiting them in the hospital, right? I show folks I love them by making them cake every day, Um which actually, depending on my baking, I don't know. Um, There is a sin that leads to death, meaning renouncing Christ. I do not say that we should pray for that. Now, here's an aside, okay? Um, John is really good at denouncing behaviors. This is not a direct denouncement of praying for unbelievers or for people who've fallen out of of like, um, like Christ, right? People who are no longer in Christ. This is a, this isn't what I'm talking about right now. Got it? This is a, if you see brothers in sin, pray for them because we're brothers and we're praying for each other. John is talking about family right now, right? Um, And you guys are family to brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that you aren't family to the world. It's not to knock on the world. It's not to say we hate them. I'm saying we're family. Got it? Um, So I'm going to borrow tools from most of you. Um... I do not say that we should pray for, I I do not say that one should pray for that, meaning like we should pray for this stuff. All wrongdoing is sin. Um, 
excuse me, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Meaning, like, if you watch somebody betraying God, like, rebelling against God, falling, like, into sin, like, like, all of that wrongdoing, it's all sin. But, like, not everything makes you not saved. If you see somebody sinning in a way that makes them still saved, but, like, we pray for them and we love them. And you might say, hey, you need to fix this guy. It's not right. Like, this is going to wreck your life. And if they don't, they're probably still saved, right? They might just be struggling. They might be hard-hearted at the moment. There are sins that took me years to quit, and God still loved me. There are sins I'm still trying to quit. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning. Now, in Greek, this is phrased, um, like, does not sin in an ongoing way, is not in the continuing process of sin. And it's a reference to the idea, like, if we pull the whole letter together, what John has said, it's a reference to like the idea that as believers we struggle to be holy and we strive to be holy, right? When we give up on striving to be holy, we fall asleep, right? Like that's, uh, Jesus talks about that with Lazarus, right? Um, where Lazarus is sick and he's dying and they say, Jesus, come heal him right away. He says, oh, it's okay. This, this sickness is not going to lead to death, right? And he shows up and Lazarus is in the grave, <laughs> And he says, no, he just fell asleep, right? Like sometimes we fall asleep. Sometimes we like become spiritually ill. Sometimes we fall out of this grace. It doesn't mean that grace no longer extends to us. It means we're in a bad way. Um, sin that leads to death, sin that leads to death is renouncing Christ. When we abandon Christ, that's it. We've spiritually died. Now, here's a bit of comfort for you, okay? We know that everyone who keeps, I'm sorry, uh, does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. Now, there's two different ways. Any, everyone who was born of God, and now he says he who was born of God. And this is actually a reference to Jesus. Like, Jesus protects us. The gospel protects us. If you read Paul about the, um, the armor of God, right? Like, the, the breastplate of righteousness and, you know, the, the sword of the spirit and all of these other things. Like, Christ equips us to be protected. But Jesus himself protects us, and the evil one does not touch him. This is actually in the Gospel of John, where Jesus comes out and says that he protects us, that he keeps us safe. And so as you struggle, as you are imperfect, as you are broken, as you look and say, I don't even love me, I don't know how God can, understand that, like, you're not going to die. Jesus is going to keep you safe, right? You might physically die, but Jesus has still got you. Um, Ultimately, Christ protects our hearts and our minds, and sometimes he lines up the very, like, device of our salvation like the very thing that is going to save us from the situation that we're in, and like it just hasn't happened yet because Jesus protects us. Like Satan cannot wipe you out. Like we talk about the idea, oh, the devil's going to get me. I've heard people say that. No, he's not. If you believe in Christ, you're protected. Like God watches over you in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of the Father in heaven. And there's some of us who have some complaining to do about that, me more so lately. Um, But the evil one can't harm us. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, meaning we are God's children and the whole world is broken. The whole world is under the control of Satan, but we are protected. We are in his presence. Um, He watches over us. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so like John, second to last verse, okay, and then we're done with First John. Um, yay. In all of this, right, doubt, struggle, hurt, lostness, pain, sin that we struggle with, watching our brothers and sisters struggle, praying for each other, like we are in Christ. Christ is that truth. We have understanding that comes from being in Christ and having that truth. Um, And every time we come back to that, like every time things seem broken, every time you feel so paralyzed with the situation. Anybody been there lately? Where stuff is so screwed up, you're like, can hardly move? Or you're so terrified by a potentiality that you can hardly move and you don't know what to do. Like we're in Christ and that's what saves us. That's always what we run back to. I love watching my kids because I learned so much about myself watching them. Every time I ever watch Titus fall and hurt himself, I watch him get up and who's he run to? His mom. He runs to her and he jumps into her arms and she picks him up. And this is what this is, right? If you're lost, if you're hurt, if you hate yourself, if you look at yourself and all you can say is, man, I can't believe I screw everything up. Run back to Jesus, who is God's like love for you exemplified. God's love for you poured out on the cross. Run back to that. And like a child runs back to his mama. Because he is the true God and eternal life. Meaning being with him is eternal life. Being with him, we achieve perfection that we can never achieve on our own, right? We're perfect in Christ, but right now we're struggling in our, in our flesh. Um, little children, keep yourself from idols. This is an odd way to close. Like, last verse, one sentence, doesn't make any sense in the context if you don't, like, dig a little. What's he talking about? He is talking about, um, he's talking about these false teachers that are broken away. Um, But I think there's another part to this. I think part of what he's looking at is, like, we sometimes make idols out of, like, things that just aren't true. Anybody ever done this? You believe something about yourself or you believe something about your neighbor that just isn't true, and it sort of messes you up? Like, we, or we, I can't go back to Jesus because I'm so stuck here, or I'm so focused on how broken I am, or I'm so focused on how broken, you know, that guy is that I can't seem to come back to this. Like, At the end of the day, we know we're saved because we believe in Christ. We know we're saved because we love our brothers and sisters. We know we're saved because because we strive for holiness. These are the things that we chase after. Everything else we chase after is a way of being saved. Oh, I'm going to put enough money in the plate. I'm going to put enough work in. I'm going to dress nice enough. I'm going to do all of these things, and that's how I'm going to be saved. That is a big pile of garbage. Only knowing Christ is what saves us. Everything else is an idol. Everything else is a false god. Oh, my family will save me. No, they won't. Oh, my relationships will save me. Oh, my career will save me. None of it will. Only Christ. That's what you run back to. Over and over again. Everything else we worship is an idol. Food, sex, TV, money, relationships. Everything is secondary next to Jesus. Um, Jess showed me this song this morning. I wanted to read it. Uh... And I I guess I want to read it because I think it sort of nails down what I'm getting out of this passage, where I I think John is going with this passage. Um, 
And I want you to listen, and if it jumps out at you, like, then I guess that's the spirit moving today. Um, hello, my name is Regret. I'm pretty sure that we have met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside, won't let you forget. Hello, my name is Defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you have lost all belief. These are the voices, these are the lies, and I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I have been saved, I have been changed, and I have been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is Child of the One True King. I am no longer defined by all the wreckage behind. The one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Just take a look at my life. Hello, my name is a child of the one true king. I've been saved, I've been changed, I have been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. What I love the Father has lavished, what a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. I am a child of the one true king. That means you. That means the person next to you. What a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I have been saved, I have been changed, and I have been set free. Amazing grace, the song I sing. Hello, my name is the child of the one true king. I am a child of the one true king. My challenge to you this week, my challenge to you this week is to look at your heart, look at your life, and look at the struggles and look at the brokenness and look at everything that doesn't work and look at the people that are around you that are struggling with sin, the whole nine yards. Take it all in and recognize like it all falls underneath the umbrella of Christ's grace, right? You are made new. It doesn't mean you can sit where you are and rot, right? But it does mean you're forgiven. It does mean God loves you that much. You are a child of the one true king. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you all be. Actually, I'll close in prayer and do a blessing. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that everyone in this room who's believed that their salvation is forfeit or believed that you've abandoned them somewhere, um, everyone who's sitting here who believes that, that, that you don't love them the way that like you promised that you do or that you don't hear them when they need you to, Lord, I pray that you would be with those folks and reassure them. John set out to reassure folks in his letter, and I pray that this passage, these words just dripping with your Holy Spirit, would find seed in the hearts of the folks in this room, that they would know that that they belong to you, Lord, that they would recognize the test that you put out, like, hey, this is how you know, that they would know that you love them and that all that defeat and all that regret and all that everything is washed away by the blood of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. And close with a blessing.